From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. More than 200 Oregon inmates who committed serious crimes like murder, rape, and serious assault as juveniles are being given the opportunity for clemency. That means if the parole board agrees, they could be released long before their original sentence date. In other instances, the governor will decide. The move makes Senate Bill 1008, passed by the legislature in 2019, retroactive. That bill made significant changes to the juvenile justice system and amended Measure 11, which previously required youth as young as 15 facing serious person crime charges to be tried as an adult in court. Now the governor is using her clemency powers to make that bill retroactive, giving offenders sentenced before the bill took effect a chance to also benefit from the new law. Advocates for youth justice support the move, saying young adults should not be punished like adults and can be rehabilitated. While a number of the state's district attorneys have been critical of both the original legislation and the governor's current process, they say it hasn't adequately taken into account the voice of victims and their family members or public safety. In this episode of Straight Talk, we hear from both sides. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Gabe Newland. He's the director and managing attorney of the Oregon Justice Resource Center's Youth Justice Project. And also joining us, Marion County District Attorney Paige Clarkson. She's been the DA in Marion County since 2018, a prosecutor in her office for over 20 years, and is the current president of the Oregon District Attorneys Association. Welcome to Straight Talk. I appreciate you both being here. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Laurel. Well, let's start with Gabe Newland with the Youth Justice Project. Why do you think the governor's clemency order is a good move? I think it's important to do what the governor is doing right now. For decades, Oregon's been tolerating youth sentencing practices that are born of racism and divorced from science. In 2019, through Senate Bill 1008, a bipartisan supermajority of the state legislature rejected those practices and started to bring Oregon in line with science and constitutional limits on extreme prison sentences for kids. This legislation had support from Democrats, Republicans, prosecutors, dozens of retired judges, and even the leader of the state's prison system. The legislature wasn't able to extend this law backwards to those who had been sentenced before this law came into effect. And so while the law was mostly positive, it created this arbitrary line for those who were sentenced before it came into effect. And so now what the governor is doing is using her clemency power to erase that arbitrary line, uh, consistent with the legislature's moral and scientific determination that it's wrong to punish young people the same way we punish adults. The governor is giving people a chance to prove that the harm they caused as kids, however serious that harm is, doesn't reflect the character of the adult they've become now. Well, let me bring a D.A. Clarkson in now. What are your biggest concerns with Governor Brown's youth clemency announcement? Thanks, Laurel. As you uh, pointed out, there's really two issues here. There's the original legislation, Senate Bill 1008. That is the law. It was absolutely passed uh, in uh, 2019. And at the time, there were several prosecutors, including myself and folks in my office who have personally handled these types of cases throughout our careers. Uh, who were vocally in opposition to the public safety policy that it created. But it is the law. It was passed. But it was passed with a promise to our communities and to our victims that it was not retroactive, that it would not be retroactive, and that we wouldn't be dredging up old violent cases and picking the scab off of old wounds for victims who believed their case was long finalized. 
But now, with this clemency process, as you pointed out, uh, the governor has made that retroactive. So despite those legislative promises, she has applied that law to all of these old finalized cases, therefore bringing all of this back up for victims. And she did so in a process that completely ignored them. Uh, when she rolled out these clemency uh, lists, there's two of them, as you pointed out, nearly 300 inmates that are affected by this process. When she did that, she didn't do it by notifying victims first, giving them an opportunity to take in the information, maybe have input on the process. She did it by contacting the press. Uh, the Oregonian uh, had an article that actually said what these cases were, said what was happening. And so the victims of these cases learned the same way the rest of the state did through the Oregonian. Uh, we weren't even contacted as DAs with any advance notice so that we could help in some sort of trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive process for these victims. So not only is this making it retroactive despite a promise that it wouldn't be, it completely ignored the trauma that this would cause to victims as the clemency process and we'll talk more about the victims in this a little bit later. Uh, Gabe Newland, you talked a little bit about um, this was a bipartisan bill, the Senate Bill 1008. And here's why Senate President Peter Courtney said he voted yes to that bill. Every single one of you has had somebody, figuratively speaking, say to you, I am not going to give up on you. I will not give up on you, but I expect more of you. I'm voting yes because I have not given up on the young people, the children of Oregon, my Oregon, who've got themselves in trouble. And let's take a look at why the governor says that she uh, made this retroactive. Here's part of what she said in a statement. Governor Brown believes that we must put more emphasis on preventing crime and rehabilitating youth than on harsh punishments and lengthy and costly prison sentences. We can no longer rely solely on imprisonment as the only solution to address crime. In certain cases, the governor's constitutional clemency powers can help remedy unjust sentences where an individual has been held accountable, taken responsibility for their actions, and demonstrated their commitment to turn their lives around. The blanket clemency order D.A. Clarkson affects 17 individuals who were convicted by your office in Marion County. Can you tell us about a few of those inmates and the cases and why you don't think they should be considered for release? Yes, I, uh, we do have 17 in what I would call that first bucket, those individuals who are immediately eligible for a parole hearing. Um, of those 17, I think it's a really good snapshot to look at Marion County as uh, kind of what might be going on in the rest of the 36 counties in Oregon. Um, we're not the biggest county, but we're not the smallest. And we have 17 who are going to be eligible for parole as early as hearings may be set in January. Um, eight of our 17 were convicted of either aggravated murder, murder, or attempted murder. Uh, another eight were convicted of rape in the first degree or sodomy in the first degree. That means they either used force to commit their crime or they victimized children under 12, prepubescent, uh, elementary age children who were molested by them. Uh, the final, the 17th in Marion County, was convicted of a very serious assault in the first degree. Uh, he used a baseball bat uh, to physically harm and maim his victim, who is blinded, deaf in one ear, and will require significant medical services for the rest of his life. Uh, these are just some of the offenses that uh, are on our list in Marion County. Um, and these are not unique. These lists exist throughout 36 counties. 
um, and they all look like this. These are very serious offenses. Um, these are not uh, property offenses or public nuisance, nuisance offenses. These are the worst kinds of crimes that one human being can commit against another. Well, Mr. Nula, I want to give you a chance to react to that. And you've told me you can't speak about specific cases, but have you seen examples of offenders incarcerated for serious crimes committed as a youth being rehabilitated, who've changed and are now contributing members of our community? I, again, I can't, I can't speak to, to anyone's individual circumstance here, but I can just say that it's a scientific fact that people are more likely to commit harm and engage in, in violent and, and antisocial behavior um, when they're younger. And as people age, they, they, they age out of that. Um, and, and that's what the, the state legislature has recognized through SB 1008. It's catching, catching Oregon up to practices around the world and in the rest of the country. Um, and, and yeah, so by the time, even you know, if, if you're a person who's done something very, very bad, even the worst things you can imagine as a teenager, 20 years later, you're a very different person. You're not the same person that you were as a 15 year old. And again, no one's saying that people shouldn't be accountable for their actions, but I think that the legislature and the governor is saying that you know everyone should have a chance to prove that whatever harm they caused as a child um, doesn't de define them for the rest of their life. They should at least have a chance to prove uh, that they're no longer the person that caused that harm. And, and Mr. Newland, we, we could hear you, but your shot is frozen, so maybe you could, uh, the director can talk to you and we can click out as I talk to um, the DA. Uh, the governor's announcement became public in the press, as you mentioned this, DA Clarkson before victims and DA offices found out. But since then, your office and victims advocates spoke with victims and families about the governor's clemency announcement. Can you tell us what some of their reactions were? Yeah, you know, I think it probably doesn't surprise anybody that the reactions that we received from victims when we, quite frankly, scrambled to try to uh, notify them of this, uh, their reactions uh, are as individualized as the people themselves. So uh, any prosecutor who's handled uh, uh, more than one case for more than one year will tell you that victims respond very differently uh, to these cases. What is uh, extremely clear to us as we contacted these victims is that uh, the system has broken a promise to them. These were calls that were unexpected, uh, they were unwanted, um, and in some cases, uh, like I said, dredged up some really bad memories that they thought were long buried and something that they were working really hard to put behind them. Um, I personally prosecuted one of the 17 that's on our list for murder. Uh, he was a 16-year-old that three of his friends uh, went on a crime spree one evening that started with robbery of a convenience store, moved on to breaking into cars, uh, and uh, culminated in two assaults on two strangers. One was a 68-year-old victim uh, who he killed while that stranger was just looking for cans to recycle in an alleyway across from his home. Uh, he uh, stabbed that victim, that 68-year-old victim, nine times along with his co-defendants, and he admitted doing so. Uh, they then found another victim, stranger walking to work, stabbed him multiple times, 
He survived his injuries, but they stole his wallet. Well, let me jump back in here. The governor's office told us it regrets the commutation list was obtained by the media at the same time. They were they say they were beginning to contact DAs about notifying victims. And this is what her office said about victims' voices being heard. To be clear, at this point, the governor has not granted any individuals early release. The governor deeply values input from any victims involved in the case at issue and takes every effort to obtain that input in the most victim-centered and trauma-informed way possible. To that end, in seriously considering any clemency application, the governor's office will reach out to the respective district attorney's office to obtain their input and any input from victims well before making any decision to release someone from custody. DA Clarkson, does that give you some reinsurance then? Well, Laurel, you know, I'm really glad to hear that. It's something we've heard directly from the governor's office in some meetings with the Oregon District Attorney's Association. But I have to say that the way that this was rolled out absolutely fuels the very number one fear that we hear from victims in every case that we work in, which is the unexpected, unplanned, unwanted release of the offender that hurt them, that abused their family, or murdered a loved one. Um, and so while I appreciate that commitment going forward, uh, this process was an abysmal way to demonstrate their commitment to victims. So I'm hoping that that changes in the future. We're going to bring uh, Gabe Newland back in in just a moment. When we come back, we're going to hear from a murder victim's sister who worries what will happen if her sister's killer and other offenders are released. We're back in two minutes. And if those people like Todd Davila get out and they do something in the community, if they hurt people again, that's on Governor Brown's shoulders. And I would say that to her face. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about Oregon Governor Brown's move to grant some adults in custody who committed serious crimes as juveniles a chance for a second look before the Oregon Parole Board and the possibility of an early release after 15 years in prison. Welcome once again to my guests, Marion County District Attorney Paige Clarkson and Gabe Newland, the director of the Oregon Justice Resource Center's Youth Justice Project. Once again, so nice to have you here. And we had a little problem with Gabe Newland's as signal earlier, so I want to give you the opportunity now to respond to some of the DA's concerns about victims and some of these cases that we heard about in the first segment. Uh, Gabe. Yes, thank you. And I, first, I'd like to talk a little bit about the idea that what the governor is doing is making Senate Bill 1008 retroactive, because that's not quite accurate. And, and there's this idea that the, the legislature can considered and, and, and rejected the idea of extending this same uh, relief backwards to people, but that's not really what happened. The Oregon Constitution limits the ability of the state legislature to make new sentencing laws retroactive. So the legislature, what the legislature did is with a, a bipartisan supermajority, again, with input from, from prosecutors, former judges, and the state attorney general, uh, they collectively decided that it was wrong to treat kids like adults. And what the governor is doing now is just a very natural and logical extension of the same principles that are in that legislation. It's, it's not coming from out of the blue that the governor is doing this. She's, with a few exceptions, just extending the same relief that's in, in that legislation to, 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 to folks that were sentenced before that law came into effect. 
Well, let's talk more about the victims. One of the inmates who could possibly be released is Todd Davila. He was sentenced in Clackamas County in 1992 for the murder of 22-year-old Lisa Flormo of Wilsonville. He was 16 at the time and received a 50-year sentence and now could possibly be released early. Lisa's sister Lorna isn't happy about that. She told KGWY and described details of the murder. And I do have to warn you, they're graphic and gruesome. Where's, where's Lisa's second chance? She doesn't get a second chance. She was, she was young too. She did, she didn't, you know, she was 22 years old. She didn't get to live her life. He, he methodically, I don't know how gory to get because we're on, if you're going to put this on the T on TV. So I don't, I, you know, I want to, I want people to hear it, to use a dull pocket knife to cut through a person's neck almost to the point that their head is not attached anymore. How does one, that's not, I just, I can't imagine how someone rehabilitates from something like that. There's something really, really wrong in that person's head. And that's a huge risk. Lorna said she fears what will happen if Davila and other people convicted of violent crimes are released. So, Mr. Newland, do you understand why victims like Lorna and their families might be alarmed by this move and the possible release of the person who did them such harm? I don't want to say anything right now that, that pretends to, to relieve the kind of suffering people have gone through. I, I can't do that. And I acknowledge that, that people have, um, people, some people are scared and, and, and some people are, are experiencing really, really deep harm. There's nothing that I can say that can, can change that. But I, I will say that as the district attorney was saying earlier, it's a mistake to assume that, that every crime victim wants the same thing or, or that prosecutors speak for all crime victims. And some victims want a long prison sentence, but some don't. Uh, and some don't trust the criminal system to provide any justice at all. Sometimes the victim is, a, is also a friend or a family member of the defendant, and they have very complicated feelings about seeing a loved one go to prison or, or how long they should be there. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, some of the people involved in advocating for the passage of Senate Bill 1008 were themselves um, related to victims of, of violent crimes. And so the idea that this the governor's order is coming out of the blue isn't isn't quite right. Again, this is the governor um, making a common sense logical step that's consistent with uh, a large majority of the legislature's decision that, that had input from from defense attorneys, prosecutors, Democrats and Republicans um, that We've made a collective moral judgment as a state that it's uh, immoral and unscientific to treat kids like adults, even if they've done something very bad. Well, the governor's clemency announcement doesn't automatically release inmates. You've pointed that out. One group has to apply to the governor for clemency. The other will have to go before the parole board. And smart people will ultimately make the decision. Uh, D.A. Clarkson, wouldn't they deny release if the offender is still truly dangerous to society? Well, Laurel, I, uh, I think that's an oversimplification of the process as applied under the statute. So Senate Bill 1008 actually laid out criteria that the parole board is required to consider when they're looking at release. And I wish I could tell you that the words of Lorna that you just heard from are unique. Uh, they are not. Those stories, that gruesome story that she has, those are repeated in these 288 cases across this state right now today. 
Um, and with the criteria in Senate Bill 1008, those stories are not considered. So there is six criteria, none of which uh, allows the parole board to consider the safety of the victim, the safety of the victim's family, or the safety of the community at large when the offender is released. So the criteria that was set by that statute only looks at the offender. And so that feeling that Lorna was communicating to us uh, today is, you know, what about the victims? What about that family? Uh, do they get a voice? And so it's an oversimplification to say that the SMART Parole Board uh, has an opportunity to consider all of those things. Their hands could very well be tied by a statute that stacks the deck in favor of release of very dangerous people. When you talk about releasing an inmate for a serious crime committed as a youth in Oregon, many people will think about Kip Kinkle, who in 1998, when he was 15, killed his mother and father and two students and wounded 25 others at his school in Springfield. He was sentenced to 112 years in prison without the chance for parole. In Governor Brown's criteria for offenders who qualify for clemency, the sentencing cutoff date is 2050, which seems to specifically exclude Kinkle. Mr. Newland, do you think Kip Kinkle should be included in this move by the governor? I think that everyone who is under the age of 18 should be in at the time of their crime should be included in, in the governor's action. And, and that's not just me. That's that's what the science says. People that are younger than 18 um, and even into their mid 20s, people's brains are continuing to develop. People are more prone to impulsive, high risk behavior. They're more vulnerable to peer pressure, but they also have enormous capacity for change. And so even if you've done something very, very bad as a young person, you should have a chance to prove that as an adult, you're not the same person that did that and that, you, that you've changed. And DA Clarkson, what are your thoughts? Should Kip Kinkle ever get a second chance? The fact that Kip Kinkle was excluded uh, with this governor's criteria is absolutely evidence of the limitations of brain science. I think all of us who have been teenagers, like uh, me, uh, Gabe, you, uh, and I am personally raising teenagers, we all have empathy for bad decisions that can possibly be made. But what the Kip Kinkle exception uh, shows is that there are limits to what we will accept as a one bad decision a momentary lapse in judgment or a lack of self-reflection. What we know that uh, when Kip Kinkle is excluded here is absolutely showing us that there are cases and heinous activity that should not never be allowed uh, out again. Uh, and I think that's clear in the fact that Kip Kinkle was excluded here. But the other important thing to note is that Senate Bill 1008 uh, does not exclude the next Kip Kinkle. So the policies that were passed there will absolutely apply to the next school shooter, to the next individual who murders his parents and slaughters his classmates. Uh, there is no mass shooter exception or school shooter exception. Uh, these policies will apply going forward, uh, no matter how many victims an offender has and no matter the heinous level of their offense. We only have about uh, 45 seconds left for each of you to have a final thought. And maybe you could tell us, Mr. Newland, in your time, you know, what you'd like to see happen next. Sure. I would like the legislature and the governor to consider extending similar relief to, to people who are under the age of 25 at the time of their crimes, because the same science that uh, the legislature and the governor are relying on for SB 1008 and what the governor is doing now it extends to people well into their 
late adolescence into their mid-20s. And DA Clarkson, I can give you about 45 seconds. Thanks, Laurel. Uh, I think that our communities deserve better than the process uh, of these clemency orders and the way they rolled out. I can tell you that victims absolutely deserve better than the lack of voice that they were given and the lack of input that they were afforded uh, simply was disrespectful to uh, the things that they have endured. And I can tell you that Oregonians who uh, want a criminal justice system that should be a public safety system have cause to be concerned, both from this clemency order and from the policies contained in Senate Bill 1008. And, and what, do you have any recourse at all? Uh, this is just a, a done deal. Uh, clearly, the uh, legislature can always change the rules. So just as they did here, they can clarify those rules going forward. They can also set limitations on the governor's clemency power should they decide to do that. Well, thank you to my guests, Marion County District Attorney Paige Clarkson and Gabe Newland, the director of the Oregon Justice Resource Center's Youth Justice Project. And thank you for watching and listening. You can also get Straight Talk as a podcast. Wherever you get podcasts, search for KGW Straight Talk. Join us next week when Congressman Earl Blumenauer joins us to talk about the UN climate change conference he's been attending in Scotland. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.